Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, listeners. Briny here. Just a quick warning that there's some colourful language in this podcast, so it might not be one to listen to with children around. Right. Now that's out of the way. I hope you enjoy the show. If something's good, you are literally genetically designed to chase it. It's not your fault. It's just how it is, you know, and whether it be sweets, whether it be porn, whether it be gambling, whether it be alcohol, whether it be crack cocaine, if it rocks your boat, you are going to chase it until you die. So everything in moderation is bollocks. Hello. My name's Bryony Gordon, and I want to welcome you to this special series of Mad World. And I say special series because it covers a subject I know all too well. Addiction. Addiction, recovery and mental health go hand in hand. And as many of you may know, it's a journey I've been on and I'm still on. So for this year's Addiction Awareness Week, the Mad World team have joined forces with the amazing charities Action on Addiction and the Forward Trust to bring you a series of honest conversations about addiction, be that to alcohol, drugs, gambling or something else. We're slowly breaking down the stigma of discussing mental health, but addiction still sadly remains taboo, even though we will all know someone who's been touched by it, which means I'm especially grateful to my guests on this series for having the courage to speak to me. Today on Mad World, I'm joined by a guest who, if you were growing up in the 90s, you knew from all the tabloids as one of the leading members of the Primrose Hill set. But behind the seemingly glamorous partying was a person in the grips of addiction. Now she's sober and she shares her tips for healthy living with her 484,000 Instagram followers, as well as encouraging us all to be a bit more open about mental health. But it was not always that way, was it, Davinia Taylor? Absolutely not, Miss Bryony. No, it was definitely the uh, antithesis of everything you've just said. I think everyone, no one had listened to a word I'd say about health. That is why I think your account is so compelling because it's real. But listen, we're going to get on to that because it's in my contract that I have to ask you my first question, which I have to ask everyone, which is, how are you really right now? Uh, Right now, I'm very normal because I'm stressed. Uh, I'm multitasking. I've overcomplicated my life, but I am sober, which is phenomenal, really, because whenever I used to feel stress or any slight discomfort, I used to reach for alcohol, but I don't have to now, which is, well, it's a miracle, actually. 
I know there's a sort of sayings in recovery, which is, well, the most sober person in the room is the person who got up earliest. And I suspect that was you, Davinia. When was your last drink? Let's see. That was around about 13 years ago. Okay. So I'm like a, a September baby. I think so many of us got sober in September. I think it's something to do with the conditioning of the school year. I think it's very tricky to get sober in January because it's the eternal hangover. But um, yeah, it was like 13 years ago in September I got sober. Can we talk a bit about your actual alcoholism and what it was like for you? Because I've read interviews with you in the past and you are like... I had a really nice childhood. (laughs) I didn't want for anything. So why have I ended up here? Would that be fair to say that was your sense? Yeah, I mean... I obviously, you you generally blame yourself if you are alcoholic anyway, because it's often perceived as something of of an indulgence because it's associated with pleasure. But when you're using alcohol as a tool for survival, then it's not a pleasure. It's a necessity and every cell in your body screaming out for it. Now, I, uh, like you rightly said, I, I don't have any trauma. There isn't a pinpoint. There isn't a turn in the road where I can see something when I, something triggered me. I've just, you know, I've I've just always liked being social. I've always liked going out. I've always enjoyed people's company. And, you know, I, I just couldn't press stop on it. I just became addicted to the feeling of contentment it gave me, which for me was very difficult to come to terms with. Why couldn't I stop if I had everything? I'd I'd listened to the horrific stories in AA and um, I just couldn't relate to them. So I felt very much like this is my fault. And often, often it's just the way it is. It's in my DNA. I love dopamine. I love the drive. I love excitement. You know, I crave it. That's why I run. That's why I listen to house music. You know, it's just in my makeup. And you look at my parents, they were both high dopamine, high achievers, you know, and they had that survival instinct in them. I think I just had, you know, I just had access to alcohol. It was the 90s and it was a ladette culture and it was in excess and it was, you know, you could get it 24-7. And uh, yeah, it was a perfect storm for me. So it wasn't necessarily my fault that, you know, I ended up alcoholic. But now I know all the mechanisms behind it. It would certainly be my fault if I went back out again because I know the risks. So the 90s, so you were part of the infamous Primrose Hill set, as they as they say. And the weird thing is about the Primrose Hill set is there was only like one person who lived there. Everyone else was at the surrounding postcodes. So <laughs> where did you? Oh, I was Bellside Park, but it just doesn't have Bellside Park. But, but that's quite close to Primrose Hill. It, it is staggering like. distance from the Queen's pub. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. So part of the Primrose Hill set. So can you just kind of capture what it was like? I always imagined when I would read about it. <laughs> in the now defunct news of the world or whatever. I mean, in many ways, you were selling papers for them. And because actually we can glamorise drinking, but actually it clearly got a bit grim, right? Well, I mean, I, I liken it to literally anyone else back then who was drinking into the wee small hours. And, you know, that awful feeling when the daylight comes through a curtain. You all get that sinking feeling, whether you're in a really nice flat in Primrose Hill or, like I've been many a bloody Monday morning in a flat in Wigan, it's exactly the same horrible, creepy, let-down feeling as the dopamine leaves your system and the beer fear creeps in. Self-doubt and, for some reason, every single negative thought in your brain from anywhere whether it's your grandmother dying or your cat dying or or something it creeps in 
and as soon as you see that daylight and the birds tweeting i nearly swore the the beeping birds you can swear the bastard birds. birds i went the bastard birds them bastards it's that realization that you've done it again and i mean basically as as i know now all it is it's hormones leaving your body you've burnt through dopamine you've gone through your serotonin and you're literally left with a little bit too much cortisol and panic and that's what it is and it's you know it's you cannot meditate your way out of it this is you know fight or flight and you need to sort of get get yourself out of there and regenerate your happy hormones again otherwise you're going to burn out so i suppose yeah there is that thing i remember when i was drinking and using I used to think if I could just get into meditation, if I could just do mindfulness, if I could learn how to garden, then this uncontrollable drinking would go away, need to drink and drug. Is that kind of similar? We can sort of blame a million different things, but actually, and and, and try and find different reasons. Yeah, there's one common denominator in there, and that is the alcohol for me was going to trigger everything. But boy, did I defend it. No, no, it's not the alcohol. In fact, it might be the alcohol, but it's definitely not red wine. I'm going to take out white wine. And I'm definitely not touching vodka because that's really bad. So I'll stick with white wine. Oh, no, 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 maybe red wine. I mean, you go round and round in circles and there's ever, I mean, we literally become like Einstein, like mapping equations and stuff. It is the one common denominator. There is something that is revving up your dopamine and your happy hormones artificially. And that is what causes the terrible pain afterwards. There's no up without a down. And it's it it really took me years to fathom that one out and defend it and, you know, and like, you know, nurture this beast within. But really, it was the artificial stimuli that was triggering the monumental detox symptoms. And I was incapable of living with them. So I drank on them because they were so terrifying. So tell me, how much would you be drinking in a day what was the, I mean I know it's not really about the amount we drink it's how we drink I don't know really because when eventually I went to like go and live with my mum she replaced alcoholic wine with non-alcoholic wine so she tried to trick me so I mean I think maybe I would do at least like three bottles a day but maybe maybe I was doing five but some of them she might have watered down you know so I, you lose track at the end you lose track but I mean, I was like, I remember what I'd wake up in the middle of the night, say it's four in the morning or something, and I'd have to reach for alcohol because the actual, the detox was waking me up and it was triggering terrifying nightmares. I mean, it was messing with my brain function and it was messing with, you know, I, I mean, it made me feel extremely, the word is hunted. I felt hunted. I was jumpy. I was literally scared of my own shadow. I, I figured there was like there, there was something near me. It was an awful, awful um, nightmare. And the thought of going to sleep was even more terrifying to get rest because that's when the actual nightmares kicked in. So yeah, I had to I had to go on like Valium in a hospital in a detox, you know, to come off the alcohol, the levels of alcohol, because it, I mean, it was a case of I would have gone into uh, some sort of shock, which I, I had done before, you know, an alcoholic seizure. Mm-hmm. So you've had alcoholic seizures? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And that's just going cold turkey. So what, what we forget is you don't just quit drinking. 
can't just do that, you know, because that can send your body into shock, particularly if your your body's been reliant on this toxin, you know. So it is, it is, it's a science, you know, it is a scientific thing. And when people say you just got to give up drinking, you obviously have never drank like I did. No. <laughs> so. Well, it's, da- I mean, you're right. It is dangerous to just stop drinking. And we, and we should make that really clear now. You know, lots of alcoholics need to detox properly. Can I just ask you a bit about what those alcoholic seizures were like and what you experienced? I don't remember them because I, I blacked out, but I woke up in the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead with my lips split open. And um, this was literally walking to go and get my, totally sober, walking up Hampstead Hill. So maybe it was the effort that did it, but walking up a hill to go and get us some tea bags. And I'd not drank that day. So obviously the huge amount of detox, the burden probably on my liver and all my vital organs just sent me into an alcoholic seizure. And I woke up in the Royal Free Hospital Somebody must have found me in North London on the floor and called an ambulance and I woke up there and I remember, I remember trying to explain, it's like screaming underwater, trying to explain to a medic that all you need is a bit more alcohol because they would never give you that because they don't seem to grasp the fact that what what's killing you is actually going to save your life but I didn't articulate that because I didn't have any well first of all I didn't have a medical background at all but I was just like a an alcoholic literally on the street but there's got to be some sort of middle ground to help people sort of navigate you know like you do with smoking you have patches and stuff Mm -hmm. there's got to be something to get people off the alcohol that's not quite as cold turkey as it actually is because it's super dangerous but yeah, it was really dangerous. And I would just remember thinking opposite the Royal Free, there's a pub. <laughs> I thought if I can just get there and this is with like five stitches internally in my lip and I could have lost both front teeth. But all I could think about was getting to that pub across the road. And did you get to the pub? No, because I was literally in a ward, in a hospital ward without any clothes or anything. So I had that, that level of decorum not to walk out in like hospital robes, but not much more. Um, and then, I, I mean, I did drink again. Yeah. That's the thing. I always I always think, like, if I've learned anything talking to people, and especially just doing this little series for Addiction Awareness Week, is that people, like, and I know this myself, you can, you can get to a real bottom and yet still afterwards you can pick up a drink and then you realise there is no bottom. The, the, the ultimate bottom is death. Yeah, exactly. And do you know what it is? It's because... There isn't that much to get people off that second to bottom rung because there is no real medical support because even though we know alcoholism is a precursor to cancer, to heart disease, to liver disease, the biggest killers on the planet, people still don't understand why because it's mental and we dare not touch mental health because it seems it's still this guarded taboo. But if we put it in a category of, okay, somebody has a certain hormonal predisposition and guess what? It's in the genetic code. Can we then accept it and then start to attack it like a science as opposed to, oh, it's all caring and sharing and mindfulness. It's bloody not. It's there. It's it, There's papers and papers on it and it needs to be more accessible and people need to understand how to detox their friends and family without these people like feeling the agony that they do. Because, you know, you are in a terrifying situation. You're a walking nightmare and you feel it physically. The letdown, the dying feeling inside is extremely real. And who wants to feel like they're about to die? 
when all they need to do is have a drink to get over it. So I think science needs to like pull together and instead of like acting all over the place, we need to stop having like one one section looks at this, one section looks at that, one section looks at the gut, one section looks at the brain, one section looks at mental health, one section looks at addiction. And we just like, hang on, it's all linked. Mm. This is one living organism, you know? We feel pain all over the body. You know, we have receptors everywhere. And it's about time. I mean, if we can send bloody two billionaires to the bloody space, I think we can take a look at friggin' addiction. Do you know what I mean? It yes. literally is happening to our kids with social media. And I think it's about time we start realizing that one addiction leads into the other. And it is, it's not one linear thing. It's extremely tangible. And science needs to understand it. We can't just blame it on trauma or it's someone else's fault. We have the technology to help people and it, they need to book up. Some people do find the spiritual path helps them, I should I should say. But what was it that helped you in there? Because you went to rehab, didn't you? I mean, what, what in the end was the kind of motivation for you to finally put down the alcohol? Well, I mean, I, I'll keep going back to sort of like hormones and stuff. But the great thing about AA, NA and all the anonymous groups is it builds community. And you realize you're not quite on your own and you're not the worst person on the planet. Mm -hmm. And that actually boosts the hormone serotonin, which is your happy, content hormone. So by talking to other people, that's what that does. And it also gives you a great guideline. You've got the 12 steps and everything. So initially, I, I did follow a sort of spiritual path through the 12 steps. But right now, I'm kind of focused on what's the mechanisms behind all this? What's triggering me right now? Where is this fear coming from? Or where's this hope coming from? Where's this joy coming from? And how do I hack into that on a constant basis? Things like this, it puts it kind of back into my control because I, I, I very much need immediate relief from stress I need immediate go-tos and that's what makes me feel secure because if I don't feel a level of control with my feelings that's when I reach for uh, you know the old Sauvignon Blanc because uh, I know how what he makes me feel like and, and, and that, that's it, you know, and of course I speak to other alcoholics all the time. I mean, we're everywhere, we're everywhere. And that really helps. My husband now, he doesn't drink at all. He gave up drinking as well. And we, you know, we always harp on about, imagine if we drank. Oh my God, imagine doing this with a hangover. And this is just getting the boys ready for rugby on a Saturday. And I have that constant reminder of how frigging awful it must be to be in a hungover state. So I think what like the, the rooms and everything taught me was how to have an innate capacity to fast forward to the hangover and forget the good bit mm. because that's paramount. The ability to fast forward keeps me sober. Yeah, play it forward. But let's talk about biohacking. Yeah. So earlier this year, you bought out a book called It's Not a Diet. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, it is. It's called It's Not a Diet. Which yeah. I like as a, as a curvy lass who is kind of anti-diet culture. But what you've done over the 13 years of your sobriety is you've worked out lots of people, if they're not addicted to alcohol or anything else, we, we can become addicted to food. That was something you experienced, was a sort of cross-addiction to food. And, and this stuff can be just as addictive as alcohol. And so you've basically spent a lot of time working out how best to look after yourself so that you're not constantly having to give into those cravings, right? 
Yeah, because what I didn't understand probably about six years ago when I was larger and I just assumed, well, I've had four kids and, you know, it's middle age, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you kind of, I kind of resided myself to feeling a little bit lethargic and I suddenly, it suddenly dawned on me that I felt quite vulnerable. And that's when I started digging. That's when I started seeing these things called seed oils and veg oils and realizing that they were actually making me feel depressed and they were triggering me to eat more and more and more of the of sugar so seed and veg oil like rapeseed oil or sunflower oil is actually a substance that now we do have medical studies saying it triggers the brain around about 15 minutes later into eating more than it should do and that's why it's in everything packaged because it makes you eat more it's a bliss point food in may i was i interviewed you davinia about your book and i as someone who is curvier and i have you know and i have a history of eating disorders so i have a real Mm -hmm. problem with cutting food out right but i was listening to you talk and i realized that actually what you do and it is not a diet it doesn't involve cutting out like food groups it just involves cutting out processed food basically well one in particular and it's the sunflower and the rapeseed so you could have anything you could have potatoes but just don't have that so i then i remember interviewing you over zoom and i and i've 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 been quite public about this i got really badly binge eating disorder really Mm. came up for me last year during the lockdown and it was still sort of i was trying i was having lots of counseling and stuff for it when i spoke to you but i read your book and it seemed to make a lot of sense to me I started doing it and here we are, I don't know, like nearly five months on. And I appreciate this seems like I'm veering off slightly, but I'm not because I think food is a, is, is a really addictive process as well. And it's very common for people in the early years of sobriety to cross-addict food. Anyway, cut a long story short, it has completely transformed my binging. And I will occasionally, that that feeling will come in, just as occasionally still... The, the desire to drink still comes into my head and the desire to do go out and bang a gram of cocaine comes into my head. But I don't do it. Do you know what I mean? And anyway, and I just wanted to sort of thank you because it has completely revolutionised. I don't have those cravings to eat like a whole bag of sausages in the middle of the night. Well, this is it. And this is what it is. It's about the triggers that we are putting into our body. Of course, it's going to affect your brain. How did we ever think that your brain wasn't going to notice what you put into just below your brain, i.e. your mouth? Mm. Can I ask you quickly about women getting sober? Because there is, I know we've spoken about this before, like when you come into recovery, it can sometimes feel quite geared towards men. And I think that's just a historical thing. But one of the things that I had to really learn when I got sober (laughs) was that I did get PMT and it wasn't just something I felt. And I, I've had to start tracking my periods because I, it really does affect my mood and it really does affect what I feel and what I want to do. How important is it, do you think, for women who are trying to deal with addiction to sort of be aware of all of this stuff? I mean, the best the best thing you can do is literally track where you are in your cycle. So you can see there is, because with depression and that depressive feeling and a drop in estrogen, I get it on day two and three, you stop manufacturing serotonin. So your hope hormone is gone. 
So time disappears. And also your dopamine drops. So your drive and ambition, that goes as well. So basically, you're in a black hole of hell. But as long as you know there is a window out of it, i.e. day four and day five, when your estrogen goes back up. Is that true? Yeah. Do you know what yeah. day Do you know what day I'm on of my cycle? What are you, this babe? Is, this is TMI, but nothing's TMI on Mad World. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I'm on day three. There you go. Boo-hoo. I'm surprised you made it in. I'll be honest I am with sometimes. you. I am sometimes. So, <laughs> bravo you. And you know what? And it, it's so important. You can have... Otherwise, it, it literally becomes like like the the end of time, the end of days, and there is no exit strategy. And also, by the way, FYI, the perimenopause can start in your 30s. So that is another huge precursor for depression and mood disorder. And we really need to start speaking about that because millions of women can't get sober because they have they don't have enough hormones to support their mental health you know we are super complicated and Davina McCall's done a great job with the menopause but you have got the perimenopause that can be a decade and you've got three kids probably in my case two exes you know I'm trying to set up a business and I've got two dogs that are incontinent so do you know what I mean I need estrogen man now I don't I don't need it I don't need it just when I finish my period I need it now and so I I I hack my hormones with some estrogen but then I found out and then you have to have progesterone with it because otherwise you could end up with ovarian cancer but the progesterone I was taking in the morning and that was turning into cortisol and triggering anxiety so you need to have that at night so it's like it's a minefield but it's doable because science is there we just need to put it into one place and where we can all get access to it and understand it because otherwise you're just like it's pmt you shouldn't have pmt you shouldn't have bloating you shouldn't have water retention if your hormones are right really that's the reality it's it shouldn't it's just because it's happened to women that it's not been sorted so what would your advice be to anyone right now who's listening and who's trapped in the cycle of addiction be it with alcohol foods drugs whatever you know, we do need mental health treatment for it. But on a physical level, what can you do? Because that's talk. Because it's all very well and good talking about rehab and twelve-step programs. Yeah, exactly. There's a brilliant guy called Wim Hof, whose wife took it her own life, uh, leaving four children. He's got a free app with a breathing. Now, this is lying down. So I'm not asking you to go for a run or anything. This is lying down. And when you do his breath holding, and basically it's all about breathing in more than you breathe out, you literally change the chemistry in your body. You you realign the CO2 and the oxygen. And it is exactly the same as a chemical that's released in your brain is the same as what you get in LSD. It is literally getting high on your own supply. And that's his mantra. So if anyone who is in a chronic situation where they can't live in their own reality, try this. And, you know, he has tons of papers backing it up. Scientific papers, you know, not, we're not talking just crystals, woo-woo and tie-dye. We're talking proper scientists here. And that's what I think we need to bring to the forefront. And that's what we need to make accessible to people. And it isn't woo-woo. It's not Gwyneth. It's not goop. It's proper science. And it could really save lives and give you that pause button. I mean, like I said at the beginning of this chat, I think science needs to book up and stop selling everyone to moderate and everything in moderation because it's bloody not working. 
No one can moderate. You're joking. Well, I like that. That do you know what? That's a really good way to end because you know that thing of like, why can't I moderate? Why can't I be normal? Because, because you weren't designed are... to. No, and and actually, it's the most normal thing to not be able to moderate. Yes. That, that we're not supposed to be. That's no. you know, if something's good, you're gonna just like you are literally genetically designed to chase it. So, you know, if it works for your DNA, you're going to chase it. It's not your fault. It's just how it is, you know, and whether it be sweets, whether it be porn, whether it be gambling, whether it be alcohol, whether it be crack cocaine, if it if it rocks your boat, you are going to chase it until you die. So mo- everything in moderation is bollocks. <laughs> On that note, Davinia <laughs> Taylor, you're an absolute legend and I love you and we all need a bit more of you you. in our lives and thank you so much for taking time to come on Mad World anytime anytime at all thanks for having me before you go please follow Mad World on your podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode And if you feel like it, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I love to read what you think about the shows and see your guest suggestions too. The Telegraph also let me loose in the paper. So if you'd like to hear more from me, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld and you can get your first 30 days access to the website completely free. This series was produced by the legendary Louisa Wells and Giles Gear. And if you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, the following organisations offer free and confidential support. Action on Addiction, who along with the Forward Trust have helped us put together this series, are a UK charity providing support to people who need rehab, as well as a wealth of resources for those battling addiction issues. They can be found at www.actiononaddiction.org.uk. For honest information about drugs and help and advice in the UK, head to www.talktofrank.com or call 0300 123 6600. Wearewithyou.org.uk are a charity who offer free confidential support to people in England and Scotland who have issues with drugs and alcohol. For information in Northern Ireland, go to services.drugsandalcoholni.info. In Wales, you can contact Dan247 at dan247.org.uk. If you are a child of an alcoholic, you can get advice and support from NACOA for free on 0800 358 3456. And importantly, please remember this, you are not alone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.